Good morning and welcome. How are you? Good to see you. Good to be back. Thank you for the prayers that uh, we were able to uh, go to an old reunion, military reunion. Guys, I haven't, some of them I haven't seen in 50 years and uh, had an opportunity to share the Lord with some of them. Also, too, uh, we were down at the Creation Museum and we saw the ark. It is awesome. You have to go if you haven't gone. It is an awesome experience to stand before this wooden ocean liner and, uh, and to go inside it and to th- see the three stories. It, it, it makes it so, so feasible and plausible as you see their living conditions inside and, and uh, where they kept all the grain and the animals and the water and all those sorts of things. And uh, the one thing that I couldn't... Uh, uh, get away from the fact that when they lived in that boat for a year, man, that must have smelled pretty bad. And uh, God's grace was with them, though. They were, they were just blessed to be alive, right? Uh, we are in Acts chapter 11 this morning. Uh, chapter 11, picking it up in verse 19, as we study through the book of Acts. <clears throat> we're looking at uh, some important patterns uh, as we uh, study the early church and we see uh, you know, what God had done in their lives and through them, I think sometimes over the church age, some of these things were lost, some of these important principles uh, and, and you know, theology and, and important you know, um, you know, situations where God was just empowering and using them and changing the world at the same time. It's amazing. When you think about the early church and what God did, you know, through their particular experience. And you know what? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Um, And he wants to use us to impact our world. You know, sometimes we look at the condition of the world around us and we think, you know, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, uh, we have have to realize that he has called us to to be, you know, represent him at this time. Uh, We've been given such an incredible privilege uh, to witness and to live for Christ, you know, before his coming, whenever that will be. Uh, verse 19, chapter 11, <clears throat> we're told here, <clears throat> And now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and preaching the word to no one but Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist, uh, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God and was glad, and encouraged them uh, that all with, with all that purpose of heart, that they should continue with the Lord. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were, were added to the Lord. And then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek, to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was uh, that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened the days, in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren who were dwelling in Judea. That this, this they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we bless you today. And Lord, we thank you for your magnanimous grace. Lord, uh, as Barnabas, Lord, came to Antioch, Lord, you were doing a fresh new thing, and you're always doing something new and fresh. And Lord, we want you to be doing that in our lives. Lord, we look to you today. We thank you, Lord, for your, your, your spirit. And Lord, uh, we yield ourselves to you, Lord. We, we want to be, Lord, active. Lord, we, we see that, Lord, in the early church, uh, just an activity, Lord, the Holy Spirit moving people in and out, Lord, uh, touching lives, changing people, saving people, bringing people into your kingdom. And Lord, as we said, Lord, your scripture says you're the same, Lord, uh, uh, as you were yesterday, today, forever. And help us, we pray, to yield our lives to you. Lord, uh, you're always, Lord, drawing us. Lord, you're always, Lord, doing a work, something fresh in the lives and hearts of those who don't know you as of yet. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. Lord, so give us, we pray, Father, just a, a receptivity, Lord, an openness, a yieldedness to you and all that you have desired, Lord, for us. I pray for those that are here this morning that you'd bless each and every one. We pray for those that are just eavesdropping by way of the stream, that you'd bless your word, Lord, as it goes out, Lord, to challenge, Lord, to bring change, Lord, to bring our lives, we pray, just into conformity, Lord, to you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, knowing you, knowing your purpose, that, Lord, you're good. You're not only good, Lord, you're just absolutely awesome. And we love you for it, Jesus. We're so thankful for all that you've done and all that you're doing and all that you have yet to do. Where, Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, we entitled our message this morning, Ventures of Faith. And... Uh, I don't know if you've ever taken a step of faith. I think it's important. Uh, God's always, I think, prompting us, leading us to take steps of faith. And, and they may be just a new venture for you. Um, you, know, if you may know other people that maybe they've taken some incredible steps of faith and you've seen the growth in their life and what God's you know, done in their life. And maybe you're just thinking, well, maybe you know, God doesn't really have anything for me kind of a thing. And I think you have to be careful that kind of mentality. You know, God wants to just use each and every one of us, because each one of us are unique. And each one of our lives touch, you know, other lives and other individuals uh, that the person maybe next to you may never know or never touch. Um, I had asked you, you all to pray as we went to this reunion uh, out there, and some of these guys ha I haven't seen since Vietnam in, in you know, 1969, you know, uh, what's that, 52 years ago and had an opportunity to, uh, to speak to them, to some of them, about the Lord. And, and I don't know where that's going to go, but I know that in uh, um, many of them, many of these guys, they look like they've, been, they've just been train wrecks because of PTSD. And, you know, I had that too. But you know what? Jesus was my closure. You know, when, when Christ comes into your life, he's the healer. 
Now, he's the one that wonderfully transforms us and changes from the inside. It doesn't matter what your background is. Uh, you know, the thing about the, you know, whatever baggage we may have, uh, when you live, you know, and Satan is very careful to get us to never forget it. Uh, and when you live in that, and people do, uh, unfortunately, sadly, live in their past, it defines their present and their future. And the thing about the Lord is, you know, Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, that, that he has given us a future and a hope, a blessed and a wonderful hope. And the word hope simply means expectation. And that's what I love about the Lord. There's always a sense of expectation with him. Lord, what are you going to do? Lord, what are you going to, how are you going to lead us? How are you going to guide us? You know, Lord, what are you going to do next? Who are you going to save? You know, God is current. He's always working. He's always moving. And sometimes we get static. You know, sometimes we get just sort of bogged down, you know, in our particular circumstance and in our situation. And he's always egging us on. He's always, you know, just nudging us, you know, to take a step of faith. Because Jesus said this when he was on this earth, and he's always saying it to us, to us now, follow me. Follow me. Because he's always active, he's always moving, he's always doing something. So we're going to talk here, as we look at the early church, we're going to talk about some ventures in faith here. And you know, it's always easy to kind of play it safe, but the thing about playing safe is, you know what, it gets very boring. The fact is, if we'll realize it, not only in the spiritual realm, but also in the material, physical realm, life is a series of calculated risk. Uh, there's so many things that we have to do, and we're willing, you know, perhaps maybe to take that risk or whatever the case may be. You know, you take a risk when you walk out the door. You, you take a risk when you get in your vehicle. You take a risk when you maybe uh, move to a new community. You take a new job. There's a certain amount of risk. Uh, you maybe enter into a new relationship. There's a certain amount of risk, you know, for that. But the reason we do that is we believe that the reward will outweigh the risk. We believe that there's a, there's somehow there's a blessing in this. You know, there's a reward if I just simply take that step of faith. Of, and again, a step of faith is something that, in a sense, has been prompted. It's not just, you know, you hear about a leap of faith as if you're just sort of like jumping off a building. Uh, it's not something that we conjure up in our own heart and our, our own mind. It's something where God's led us. It's something that he has spoken to our hearts. It's something, you know, some area, some issue where he's prompted us and we know that he's leading. And oftentimes when we know that, there's that tendency sometimes on us to sort of hold back because maybe there's fear uh, about, you know, just, you know, the risk involved or whatever the case may be, the unknownness of it, that sort of thing. But again, if the Lord is leading us and directing us, he's going to bless that. He's going to bless it. He's going to encourage us, and he does that. And we see it here in this particular story. Uh, again, there's a risk, you know. Uh, if you've ever invested some money, you're turning that money over to people that you basically don't know. Obviously, you trust them to a certain amount, of degree, certain degree, but there's a risk involved in that kind of thing. Every time you get into an airplane, you risk life and limb. Uh, I've been on some long flights. Uh, I've been on an 11-hour flight to Israel eight different times. And uh, I've, I've flown uh, to uh, Europe, I've flown to China, I have flown to Africa. And I remember the, 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 flight, uh, the flight time altogether to, to China back in 1985 was 25 hours. And I remember, you know, I always remember that. And back then, the, 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 the plane was full of smoke. And, 
And I remember just reading Psalm 18, and what an encouragement. You know, we're going over the Pacific Ocean, and in Psalm 18 it says, David's saying there how the Lord delivered him out of great waters. And I was just, you know, it's amazing how, you know, when you just, you open the Bible, that God makes his word, his truth, relevant, you know, to our particular circumstances. You can't, you can't make that stuff up. And it's not coincidental with the Lord. You know, God wonderfully, you know, speaks to us, you know, through his word and through his truth, no matter where your circumstances. That's why, you know what, you need to be a Bible person. You need to open that Bible. Um, you need to, you know, get it into your soul, get it into your life, because God, that's God's living, abiding word. It is going to speak to us. It's going to help us. It's going to guide us. But you see, the most important risk of all is stepping out in faith. And stepping out for God when he leads us, when he prompts us. That's the most important risk. Again, we take a lot of risk. Um, and again, we're, we're convinced that perhaps maybe there's going to be a reward there. But I'll tell you what, when you take a risk for God and you step out in faith and believe him, that God is going to wonderfully honor that. He is going to honor that in some kind of way. You may not get an immediate kind of reward, uh, I tell you what, there's a lot of things, you know, as you, you know, simply obey the Lord and submit yourself to him. Uh, you don't want all the rewards here and now, right? Man, I, I, you want to store some things up in heaven. And uh, we were having a conversation uh, before we had prayer this morning um, about, um, you know, earning. And you can't earn your salvation, okay? We, we know that. We get that drilled into us. There's nothing, you, you we're not good enough. We can't earn it. Uh, we don't deserve it, but it's a free gift given by God. But we earn rewards. That's what rewards are all about. About the, you know, a life of simply obedience. And, and God, as we're obedient to him, even here and now, there's blessings this side of heaven. But there's those eternal rewards that we store up because why? We've been obedient to him. We've served him. We're living for him. And that's a very important um, aspect of things. You know, I had a few quotes uh, about this whole matter of risk. And this is one, uh, that's a series of uh, some quotes that, uh, that I uh, found. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, the, the hockey player, says, You always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Okay? Because you're not willing to really take the shot and take the risk. Uh, a, sh a ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. And again, you and I are not made to stay, you know, to stick by a mooring. You know, God has called us, you know, to get in that gospel ship and to, you know, to brave, to launch out, you know, in the name of Jesus. Uh, this is by a guy named Brooks Atkinson. He says, this nation was built by men who took risk, pioneers who were not afraid of the wilderness, businessmen who were not afraid of failure, scientists who were not afraid of the truth, and thinkers who were not afraid of progress, dreamers who were not afraid of action. Another quote is here, you lose a, when you go fishing, you lose a fly, but you catch a trout, okay? You probably only understand that if you're a fly fisherman. I, I was at one particular time, but it was like too much work kind of a thing. But it's interesting, yeah, you, you might lose that fly. Um, as a matter of fact, Margie and I went fishing this a uh, couple of months ago, and she caught a giant fish, but we, never, we weren't able to reel it in. It was just so big, and it went under the dock and broke the line. And she, she was saying the other day, because I was putting the kayaks away. for we, we had our kayaks out, and I was putting the kayaks away. She says, you sure you want to put them away? I want to catch that fish again, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. But uh, probably won't happen. 
Uh, Behold the turtle. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. How true that is. Never be afraid to try something new. Remember, amateurs built the ark. Professionals built the Titanic. (laughs) Interesting, interesting thought there. So as we come to the disciples here uh, in this section, and really all through this section, uh, actually starting much earlier, uh, it's a time of persecution. Uh, And what is persecution? Persecution is when the culture is trying to squeeze you into a specific mold. Uh, And of course, as believers, we can't allow that happen. Uh, We're understanding this cultural pressure right now, aren't we? Uh, To conform, you know, relative to whether it be wearing a mask and and whether it be vaccinations. I wonder what it's going to be next. Um, I think it's going to be a series. And they're not vaccinations, okay? Uh, Vaccinations are a one-time deal, okay? These, These are flu shots. And maybe they intend to be vaccination, but they're leaky, okay? In other words, the, the pathogen that they're trying to arrest or stop leaks, you know, out, you know, into your body, and it stays basically in your body, you know, kind of a thing. That's why the CDC just said two weeks ago that basically um, uh, you have to get a, 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 a booster every eight months. And within two weeks, they said six weeks, six months. And within the same two weeks, they, they lowered it to five months. Uh, because, again, uh, it's very hard controlling that, you know, controlling that kind of thing. Um, but again, getting back to these cultural pressures that we have, um, we have to be very careful that we don't. And again, we, I know regarding these kind of things, we have personal convictions. We have, you know, uh, personal, some people have a conviction. And I've said this before, you know, if you need to wear a mask here, fine, wear a mask, Okay. Uh, no one should put pressure on you because you're wearing a mask. But if you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. It's the same thing with this whole matter of vaccination. Uh, we all have different kind of convictions, you know, about these kinds of things. Um, but the world's always trying to squeeze us basically into its mold. And we have to be very careful because uh, particularly not so much even in the area of vaccination, even though there's pressure there, but more as it comes to morality, the morality, the cultural morality that we see, you know, in our culture. It's always trying to squeeze us into the mold, always trying to marginalize us uh, when we won't allow that to happen. And so we see here the church here, how important it was for them uh, to be true to the convictions that the Lord had placed within their heart. And now the gospel is going to arrive in a place called Antioch, about 300 miles uh, north of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, It was a cosmopolitan, which means it was a melting pot, you know, kind of a city. Uh, There were 25% of them were Jewish. Uh, It was Roman. It was Greco uh, as well. It was Arab. There wasn't any Muslims back then, okay? Uh, Islam didn't come until about 700 years, 700 AD uh, kind of thing. But this city was a melting pot kind of a city. Uh, And basically, when you have that, it becomes tolerant of all things, uh, there was a river, even though it was tw- about 20 miles inland, there was the Orontes River that ran through it that also actually made it a seaport. Um, and, and in a sense, because of its nature, it was sort of, a, it was kind of like New Orleans on the Mississippi. It, it was the big easy. And it's interesting, you know, when you see God working in some of the places where he worked, Rome, uh, Corinth, um, you know, places where uh, it was challenging to be a Christian. 
And so we find that this is where, in a sense, really the first dynamic group of Christians really took place, you know, outside of, outside of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, so often, you know, the flower of the gospel grows best in manure. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, God places us in those kinds of circumstances, those kinds of situations. And, and he's going to honor that. He's going to bless that. I remember uh, this, the, one of the statements of C.T. Studd. And uh, he was a guy, uh, uh, he was a famous sports figure in, in Britain uh, back in the 1800s. And he got saved in the Moody, uh, the, the Moody uh, uh, movement uh, that when Moody went over, D.L. Moody went over to England. Uh, he was one of many that gotten saved and and he from you know a very important figure and so forth and he felt called even though he had come from a wealthy background he felt called to go to africa and he said he said he said he said if god wants me to set shop you know 5 yards outside of hell i'm going to do it uh, and, and so he goes to Africa, and he, you know, basically uh, begins and gives birth to the African Inland Mission. And it's interesting, his wife stayed back in Britain and, and scrubbed floors to support him um, while he was in that country. And, you know, when you think about that, the legacy, that the inheritance, the crystal, Christian heritage that you and I have, it's incredible, it's dynamic, and God calls you and I in this time frame you know, in this period, in this age, to carry on that, that heritage, to glorify him, to honor him, you know, with our lives. And so we see here uh, in verse 19, they're scattered because of the persecution. And, and they go preaching the word basically to Jews only. Now, that was incredibly practical for them. Uh, because they would go to, you know, synagogues that had been established uh, in the known world at that particular time, and that was, a great, that was a great opportunity. And remember, Paul will tell us later that the gospel, these, these particular Jews, uh, you know, who, who lived in foreign lands had not had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And remember, Paul says, that's why he goes to the synagogues. The gospel goes to the Jew first, and then it goes to us Gentiles. And so we find here, here they are spreading the news. Uh, and again, interesting, persecution. Persecution. God allowed that. God used that. And it scattered the church to places where normally they would not go. That's why sometimes God uses circumstances that we don't like to put us, you know, to, to uh, put us in a place where we wouldn't go because he wants to work in that situation. He wants to reach out and touch those people. And I kind of, you know, I wonder about that, even quite frankly, with uh, all the illegal immigration. Now, I know there's bad guys there, and I know that they need to be vetted. I understand that. But I really believe this. I believe God is bringing people to this nation because he wants to save them. He wants to bring them because maybe where, they, where they're from Maybe they, again, you think about, hey, we're all immigrants, aren't we? <laughs> when you really think about it. Um, and yeah, we want to we do things that protect our nation. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's a mess right now that's going on down there. But I, you know, I just, I, I really believe, I believe that God brings people to us Maybe when we don't have the opportunity or maybe even the willingness to go and minister to them, he's bringing people that we might uh, introduce them to the gospel and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, there's always a risk involved sharing the gospel. We know this. We understand this. That's why we struggle with it uh, as far as, you know, witnessing to people, telling people about the Lord. 
Um, you know, we're, we're concerned about friendships, relationships. We're concerned about perhaps our employment um, or our reputation, you know, within our neighborhood. The, these are all legitimate concerns we have. And we have to get beyond those, those concerns. We have to get beyond those fears. And we find here that there is this risk. Uh, and this group comes from Cyprus, and I remember Barnabas. He was from this island of Cyprus. There was a, there was a sizable Jewish community there. There was also too, a sizable Jewish community in North Africa, in Cyrene there. And, and so uh, these individuals who, who knew the Lord, they, they are coming from these particular places. And again, uh, Antioch is, just, you know, it's like, in a, it's like New York City in a sense. It's like some of the bigger cities, maybe some of the West Coast cities, where they're just kind of like a melting pot. I grew up in Philadelphia, and it was really kind of a melting pot. We had a uh, we had an we had a, uh, an Italian uh, uh, quarter of the city. There was a Polish and German quarter of the city. There was an Irish quarter. Uh, there was a, Ger a, a Jewish section. Uh, I actually worked in that Jewish section up on Castor Avenue in Philadelphia. And uh, and so you have this this, this mix of, of of so many different people and different cultures. And, uh, and and it's interesting too. You know, when people emigrate, they bring their culture with them. You know, they bring their culture, they bring their beliefs and those, those kinds of things, and they want to hold on to those, you know, that particular culture. They believe that that's, you know, uh, you know, what they were raised in. That's what they know they're familiar with. They're safe, you know, in that kind of thing. And so we're told here that, uh, <clears throat> that they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Um, and, and so here they're speaking to pagan Gentiles here, and God blesses it. And I think maybe they're even surprised by the fact that as they're maybe sharing, you know, and, and again, uh, as we looked at uh, Peter and Cornelius and this, this, re this opening of the door to this mini Pentecost in, in, in Cornelius's house, uh, that it was kind of just, it was, it was a shocking thing. And Peter took the six witnesses with him because he needed that. So when he went back to headquarters in Jerusalem, he was able to have some kind of you know, vindication that it wasn't just me. I wasn't imagining this. I got six witnesses here, uh, seven altogether with Peter, basically verifying what the Holy Spirit had done, being basically poured out uh, upon everybody in Cornelius's house. Um, so I, I imagine there was a tremendous amount of surprise uh, for these, and again, we have to remember the early church is Jewish. It's it's uh, it, it's 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 basically uh, Christianity is born in Judaism, uh, and 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 God is using the the dynamic of His Spirit to move um, the the Christian message, the gospel, beyond the Jews. And again, they're shocked. They're they're shocked. They're surprised by it. But uh, uh, you know, when you see God doing things, man, you're blessed. When you see God working, and that's the interesting thing, you know, I, I imagine they're kind of willing to, you know, is this going to work? But remember, I like, the thing about faith is it's so awesome. Remember Jonathan and his attache, his armor bearer? And, um, and at that time, the Philistines kind of ruled over Israel, and uh, Saul had become king, and, and Jonathan was a real good guy. He was sort of one of the officers, and, and he was Saul's son, and he was David's, you know, he ends up being David's, you know, very close friend. And he says to his attache, when they look at the garrison of the Philistines, he says, you know what? what? You know, perhaps if we just sort of went up, do you think the Lord would just sort of give that to us? And it was just sort of like one of those, almost like a hunch, but, but it was the Lord. And, of course, they go up, and they totally vanquish the enemy. And, and I like it because God honors faith. 
You know, God honors. And sometimes, too, the, the Spirit of God may just sort of touch your heart and essentially just feel like it's a hunch. You, you, and you're being prompted. You're being prompted by the Holy Spirit to just launch out, to take a step of faith. And that's exactly what is simply taken here. We're told the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21. And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Man, isn't it wonderful? God's got the monopoly on good news. The world's got the monopoly on bad news. Okay, all you have to do is just watch it. You come away with a certain degree of angst or sadness. I kind of, I, it's interesting too, uh, you know, uh, sometimes for the last three minutes of the news broadcast, they have some human interest story where, you know, they try to cheer us up after they just sort of, you know, after they crushed us, you know, for 25 minutes, they kind of try to cheer us up a little bit. Uh, but that, that's basically what, what, you know, what our world is like. And so the news comes to the, trickles back to the, to the headquarters, the Jerusalem church, what was taking place. And uh, <clears throat> they sent out Barnabas to go as far <laughs> as Antioch. Now, remember Barnabas. He's a great guy. We, we first met him in chapter 4, um, and then we meet him over in chapter 9. We meet him a little bit later. Uh, and the thing that we find about him is, is we're told he's an encourager. Now, remember in chapter, in chapter 4, uh, and this was something that wasn't calculated. Uh, he was a generous guy. He was a giving guy. And, and he, owns, he owed some land. Remember, there was... Uh, a burgeoning situation taking place, you know, at the church in Jerusalem because many people that have been saved at Pentecost, they're hanging. They're, they're staying there. If you were at Pentecost, you wouldn't want to leave, okay? God pouring out a spirit, thousands of people getting saved. And then just shortly after that, another couple thousand getting saved. And God was just on the move. And if you had gone, gone there for basically, you know, for, for you know, for, um, which would be Passover, um, and unleavened bread, and then uh, would be the feast of uh, first fruits, and which would be uh, basically Pentecost. Uh, um, uh, Fifty days later, if, if you were if you were a Jew that you went there, and your maybe your family was there, and uh, so forth, and uh, uh, you know you got you got wonderfully saved during that whole. That's exactly what was happening, and they could barely barely feed everybody, and so. Here, Barnabas, he's kind of a guy. He sees what's going on. He says, you know, I got this property back in Cyprus. I'm going to sell it. And it wasn't any kind of calculated thing. It's just spontaneous kind of thing when God puts something in your heart. And he comes and he drops the, 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 the money at the apostles' feet. Man, just use it. Use this money. Uh, to feed people and, and to meet the needs and so forth. And, and so he's just, you know, he's given this name, son of, son of consolation or son of encouragement. Uh, and he was just an encouraging kind of guy. He was a generous kind of guy. And the thing that I like about him, he's a risk taker. Because if you're going to walk with the Lord in any kind of consistent kind of way, you have to be willing to take a risk. Demand, step out in faith. And as we look at this guy, wonderfully he was that. And, and the thing is, beautifully, that, that he, you know, because of God's grace, that he becomes a trendsetter. This example of generosity and giving. And remember, you know, he's a risk taker because what's he do? He brings the former terrorist, the Apostle Paul, to the Jerusalem church because nobody wanted to touch Paul. Paul was toxic because of what he did. 
especially what he did in Jerusalem. And here he is with extradition papers to, to, to Damascus, and he's going to drag Christian families out of their homes and probably bring them back, put them in jail. And everybody knew Saul of Tarsus. And so here, Barnabas, he's going to take a risk, and he's going to bring Saul back, who becomes Paul the Apostle, and introduce him to the church. And that's why you know, the Bible says about love, when it says it believes all things in, in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best. Unbelief believes the worst. But, but love believes the best. And I think when you look at this guy, Barnabas, uh, he was that. And, and one example for us. You know, that's why the Bible gives us these examples. Um, you know, they, they set a trend in a sense. It's like, yeah. Have you ever been around a, a dynamic believer? And it's like, yeah. You may not set it, but you thought, I want to be like that. I want to replicate that in my life. I, I want to walk like that. I, I, I want to trust the Lord like that. I think God brings people into our lives like that, where we just, we just and, and they're not looking for any kind of praise or whatever the case may be. They're just simply, they're trusting the Lord. They're walking by faith. And, and, and you, you, want to, you want to copy it. You want to emulate that. You want to just, I, I want to, you know, that's so, so kind and so gracious and so wonderful. I want to be like that. And, and that's what we see here. Um, particularly in the life of, of Barnabas. So as he is sent up to Antioch, no doubt he's sent up to investigate. Is this legitimate, that, that what's going on up there? Is it, is it, in a sense, is it being done right? And the thing that I like about this guy is he doesn't come with a superior attitude. He doesn't come with a critical spirit. He doesn't come picky and petty about every little thing. You know why? He's a gracious man. He's a gracious man. And you know what? When he sees what's going on here, he recognizes the grace of God. Man, he arrives and, man, this is the Lord. And, and you know, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you bear witness to when the Holy Spirit is working in a given situation. And he came and it's like, yeah, man, this is, this is the Lord. This is God at work. He's changing hearts. He's changing lives. When he came, he saw, he had seen the grace of God and he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. You know what I love here? Is that he was glad to see God blessing other people in other places. You know, sometimes we have to be careful as Christians, it's not just all about us. And, and sometimes there's a, there's a jealousy. Sometimes there can be a jealousy when God is blessing somebody else in some other place. But Barnabas is a gracious guy. He, he knows the grace of God. And I'll tell you what, man, when, 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 that's why when you get saved, you want to see that replicated in someone else. I, I remember when Margie and I got saved, I think we offended all of our family. And we didn't mean to. We didn't mean to. But, but we just, you know, and we thought, you know, we went home to Philadelphia because that's where we're from. We went home to Philadelphia, and we thought as soon as we told them what happened in us, it would happen in them. But instead, they looked at us like, <laughs> are you crazy? 
But you know, it's interesting. Uh, my wife's parents, they were good people, very good people, sweet people, wonderful people. And both Marge and I were raised as Catholics. And my family was, you know, the non-participating Catholic family. Okay. Her family go to Mass all the time. They were, they, they were committed. And so when we shared the gospel with them, they weren't willing to jump on the gospel train that we were on. But, you know, over the course of like 40 years, they watched our lives. They watched our lives, and they watched, they, 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 they couldn't help but compare our lives in Christ with their other children and the things that were going on in other family members. And they, they, told us at one, they told us at a certain point, they said, you know, we realize, you know, there's something wonderful that has taken place, you know, in your lives. And you know what? What an opportunity. It's Jesus, you know. It's him. It's the Lord. It's what he does. It's what he does when he comes into our life. Um, he changes it. Uh, he, he orchestrates it. He, he guides. And he doesn't just save us and leave us alone. Uh, there's, a, there's an awesome plan and purpose uh, that he has there. And, uh, and so he, he was just blessed. Man, God's blessing here. And, um, and he, was, he was basically behind it. And, and it, we're told in verse 20, uh, 24, he was a good man. And what a statement. Isn't that a statement considering Psalm 14? The fool has said in his heart there is no God. There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. Paul picks up on that. Paul brings that out in, in, in Romans chapter 3 when he's speaking about the righteousness of Christ you know, versus you know, self-righteousness. But the scripture says this about this guy. He's a good man. Because he has a good God. He has a wonderful Savior you know, at work within his life and within his particular you know, situation. And again, here's the why in verse 24. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. You see, that's why God was using him. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. And we've been talking about that a little bit, haven't we? Uh, as we've been here in the early ch uh, chapters of Acts about, you know, just that baptism. That fullness. You know, when we talk about baptism, it's like a full immersion. Folks, we need that. We need that. We need that in our life. We need that in our experience. When is the last time that you prayed, Lord, fill me with your spirit? When's the last time you honestly prayed that? Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me, Lord, till I'm just simply... And that's what witnessing is. It's just the overflow. It's the wonderful overflow of God just simply filling our lives. You know, if you don't allow the Lord to fill you up, this world will fill you up. There are some people out in the world, they're full of baloney. I won't use the other word, but they're full of baloney. God wants us to be filled with him. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with grace. Not filled with self. So as we look at verse 25, man, God was on the move here. And you know what? This was bigger than one man. 
And Barnabas knew it. He realized. And the thing I like about Barnabas, you know what? He knows what his gift is. He knows, and I tell you what, if you have the Holy Spirit, you got a gift. He's the gift. And he manifests himself through your uniqueness, through your personality, through your particular life that may be so different. That's why, you know, you, you know we talk about the list of the gifts of the Spirit in the Bible. Uh, that's only a, you know, that, that's in a sense a, a sort of a, 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 a beginning, if you will. You know, God may just use your life in, in an interesting kind of a way to minister to people where, in a sense, uh, it's a kind of the, the Holy Spirit just creating you know, a, a, an ability within you to see a particular need and reaching out to minister to that. And we see that at, in the life of Barnabas. He realizes this is bigger than me. And that's a beautiful thing that I love. And I've seen in ministry is, is the, the bringing in of others, incorporating others. The, the days of the, of the church, you know, ministry being a one-man show or a one-man operation is long gone, and it's a good thing. Because God has gifted his church. He has gifted his people. And, and maybe you're just sort of wondering, well, I'm not really sure. Well, let me tell you this. As the Lord prompts you to do something, step out. I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, rel folks say relative to an issue of, well, you know, I really would like to teach a Bible class or um, a Sunday school class or whatever the case may be, but I'm a little afraid to step out. By golly, step out. Because when you step, the ability comes. When, when, I think I shared this with you or I shared with one of the groups one of the studies over the last couple of weeks when I was filling in for Pastor Bill, first time I got in a pulpit and the first service, the second, no, the first service was maybe 300 people, but the second service was 1,000 people. And in those days, we all wear a suit and tie and that sort of thing. And I remember sweating as I looked out at 1,000 people. And this was like my first time speaking to that many people. And I remember distinctly saying to myself, what have you done? I'm never going to do this again. And obviously, I didn't listen to my own counsel. But I needed to go through that. And, and you know, when, you, when it comes to a step of faith, God using you, you go through that. You wrestle with that. You struggle with those kinds of things because you know what? In and of ourselves, to do anything really powerful or spiritual, we're inadequate. We're inadequate. He's our adequacy. He's our sufficiency. He's our ability. All he wants us to do is simply yield ourselves over to him to obey him and to allow him to do, it, to do what he wants to do. So again, uh, he knew they needed in Antioch, they needed good Bible teaching. Now remember, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. And that's why Barnabas says, I know who we need. 
We need Saul. We need Paul. I've heard him speak. I, I, I've, I've heard him teach. And so he departs for Tarsus to seek for Saul. And, and I, we don't know. There, there's, there's roughly about a 10-year period here where Paul is not active. And you know what I think? I, I think perhaps God has been hiding him. But at the same time, training him, prepping him, basically getting him ready for what would take place. But here's interesting how you see the different giftings, you know, how they work in tandem and they work together. Here, Barnabas is the encourager, and he's going to encourage Paul. He's going to go fetch Paul. He's going to go get him. He's going to bring him back to Antioch. And again, his gift of encouraging is simply realizing, I can't do this. We, we need a good Bible teacher here. We're going to go get, you know, the, uh, the, we're going to get Paul before he, he really is an apostle. We would call him an apostle at that particular point. But here's the thing. He draws Paul, I believe, into this tremendous opportunity. And here's, the, well, here's one of the things I think Paul, God's teaching Paul. Because Paul was an A-type. Paul, Paul had a personality where it would be easy for him to see, you know, that, that uh, uh, God's spirit was working dynamically in him. It would be easy for Paul to feel like, I don't need anybody else. But here he, God uses Barnabas, okay, to encourage Paul. And remember early on, God uses Ananias, to go over, lay hands on him, and pray for him so that he would receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. Here's the idea. You know what, folks? We need one another. We need one another. I came in Wednesday night, and I wasn't teaching. I sat in the back, and Pastor Scott was teaching. And I had been praying for couple weeks, because we're at, we're, we're going to be, we're at the very end of Isaiah on Wednesday night. So I always pray, Lord, what, what next book? And I hadn't been getting any clarity on it. And, and, it, and God was just showing, reminding me or reaffirming this to me as I sat in the back there listening to the Bible study. The Lord told me what to do. The Lord told me what to do. And it was just a reminder of how, you know what, we're a body, and we're individual members, but we're a body, and you know what? We need one another. I think God's teaching that to Paul. I think it's teaching it to Barnabas. And Paul will go on later to talk about the body and how important it is, you know, each particular part. <clears throat> and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people how wonderful that must have been. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So again, this action on behalf of Barnabas, it really becomes the launch for Paul to get in the ministry. And like we said before, this is, Paul's the greatest theologian the church has ever had. And how Barnabas' actions came to, to bear on, on Paul's life, introducing him to this opportunity, it became a launch for ministry. And that launch for ministry for the Apostle Paul has transformed and changed millions of lives. Each one of you are very important. You, you, you play, whether you realize it or not. You, you, you play a critical part. 
your encouragement, your ministry, your prayers. They're all important. Remember that. Don't let the devil just beat you up and say, I'm a wallflower in the body of Christ. No, you have a place. You're unique. You're important. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. We'll see Agabus later with a prophecy as well. He stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren who were dwelling in Judea. And this also they did uh, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas. So what we see here is God working in a very unique kind of way uh, like no other. And what we witness here in this section, we witness a number of firsts in the Bible. And the thing is, first and foremost, they're, they're, they're dubbed Christians here. That couldn't happen in Jerusalem because that would be an admission of, of Messiah or Christ, because that's what Christ, Christian means. It means Christ in, you know, the Lord in our lives. And so uh, this name comes, you know, in a secular, you know, kind of a setting. And it was probably maybe derogatory. It may have been even a mocking. Yeah, they're, they're, they're always talking about this Christ figure and this messianic figure and, and that he's in your life. He can come into your life. And it was probably a mocking. It was probably a derogatory kind of a mocking label uh, you know, that was, that was basically given to them uh, because of their witness. So they're, they're, they're called Christians here. Also, to the interesting thing that we're going to find a little bit later is, is that the Lord gives basically birth to Christian missions in Antioch. This is where it begins. This is where it all begins here because Peter and Barnabas are going to launch out uh, on the first missionary journey. We're going to read about that. The second one is going to be uh, Silas uh, and Paul. And so we find here this, this important aspect of reaching out, going beyond our borders, uh, going into other cities, other nations to share the message of Jesus Christ. We see that wonderfully born here, you know, very early um, um, to the church. And also, too, the, we, what we see here is the first charitable act. They're, they're sending relief to those because of the famine that were suffering, you know, in Israel and in Jerusalem. So um, there's some other first too, I just wanted to, to uh, mention to you in closing here. The first hospitals, the first hospital, which really became, you know, a, a movement toward, you know, helping and mending the sick, was, was launched at the first church council of Nicaea in, in the year 325. And that's why when you look at, uh, oftentimes, you know, through antiquity, it was the churches. Um, uh, the Catholic Church is famous. Uh, I was born in a Catholic hospital. Um, you know, famous, you know, for its reaching out, its, its hospitality, so to speak, and reaching out and helping people. Um, you know, I've read accounts of, you know, we, we were talking about this virus and all that, but so many of, of the believing church it said when the, when, the, when the plagues came of the Middle Ages, instead of running from it, they ran to it. And it probably cost a lot of them their lives. But again, you know, that, that willingness, that, that, and that's the thing about the Spirit of the Lord in your life, 
it gives you a, it gives you a willingness, not so much in a sense, maybe, I, w I don't know if I would frame it in the words uh, desire, but it gives you a willingness to sacrifice, to, to, to lay down your life for someone else. And, and in our case, it, it's representing Jesus as Jesus laid down his life for us. He gives us a willingness to lay down our lives for other people. Here's another first. Forgiveness and eternal life and a new identity. That, that's what happens when we come to Christ. That, that's the offer of the gospel. You can be forgiven. <laughs> you ever talk to somebody? I've talked to Vietnam veterans. Um, and that was one of the discussions that we had at the reunion. And uh, one of the things I said to a group of Marines, as four Marines as we're sitting around, is I never saw, at least with our unit, I never saw any Marine committing an atrocity. And it was one of the other guys there, uh, Jim, and he said, you know, he said, I did. He said, I was there um, when an atrocity was committed. And he, and he really felt so bad about it, because he, he, he said, I should have done something. But you know how peer pressure is. You know, peer pressure um, to, to speak up or to say uh, something that's counter to what the narrative is, what the story is, or, the, or the, the pressure of the moment. It's a very, very difficult thing. And he was regretting that. He was regretting that, that, that very thing. And, uh, but the fact is, you know, whatever is in our background. And I've heard guys say, well, I don't think God would forgive what I did. And that's the amazing thing. We were talking about it a few, maybe a month ago, about the son of Sam, David Berkowitz. He's saved. He's saved. He's in a, he's in a, a prison, you know, downstate. And, and, and God's just using him. And, and he knows he'll be in prison for the rest of his life. And even though he committed these horrendous things, that's, that's the grace of God. And that's why some people, when you hear about, like, for instance, you know, if, if, um, if maybe somebody really did something to me or my family, And then to hear that that person could be forgiven for that. Well, I might say, well, I'm not going to forgive them because they don't deserve it. And that's just simply the point, isn't it, of the gospel, that none of us deserve it. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve a new life. We don't deserve a new identity. That's an affront to self-righteousness. And I like good people. I like people that live a good life. But the problem is, folks, it ain't good enough. It ain't good enough to, to, to gain eternal life. It's a gift, a free gift, wonderfully, from him. Another thing that we see through Christianity is the emancipation for women from the tyranny of the old world. If you want to know how the old world was regarding women, go into the Islamic world. You can't drive. You can't be educated. 
You can't do this. You can't do that. That's what it was like in the old world. And it was basically as Christianity came into the culture, it emancipated women. And it gave women the respect and the dignity and the position that they have. Also, too, the early church was multiracial. We see that. It was multiracial. Now, sometimes, too, throughout church history, um, that maybe pattern hasn't been followed. That's the problem when the Bible is not taught and understand, even though people claim to be Christians. That, that, that's the beautiful thing. It's multiracial. Um, and sometimes God's people are not. Remember the story of, of uh, Moses? Numbers 14. Sipporah dies. He gets a new wife. She's black. She's from Ethiopia. And who protested? Aaron. What's Aaron's sister's name? Miriam. Yeah, man, they were ticked off about that. And it just shows you God establishing a pattern even back in the law. <laughs> and we were talking about this, haven't we? You know, with the Apostle Paul and Peter, you know, we, can all, we all do have, we all can have and have had certain biases. And, and the beautiful thing about the Lord working patiently in our hearts and in our lives, freeing us, freeing us. That's why if the Lord puts his finger on something in your life and you're struggling to let it go, just, just ask him to help you. Ask him to help you. He's the liberator. He's the emancipator. He's the deliverer. We'll just allow him. Allow him to do in us what he wants to do. Because you know what? If the, if the, what's the scripture say? If the... If the, if, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. And I'll tell you what, don't we put a, a great price on freedom in America? We do, more than any nation. But the real true freedom is coming to know the Lord. Because then you get set free from the issues, the past, the issues of the present, and, and all of the constant culture shifting and changing that takes place. The other thing, too, about the, the early church is they were committed to the sanctity of life. In other words, when you look, in, we look through Christian history, they were always rescuing babies. That was one thing that happened all the time to the Catholic Church. Babies that were born out of wedlock, babies that were born out of prostitution, they'd come and deliver them on the steps of the church. And usually the nuns would take them in and raise them up. We, we find the first orphanages as a result of Christianity. George Mueller, if you ever read George Mueller's story, England was overrun with children who were just unwanted, living out there on their own. He took them. He clothed them. He fed them. He educated them. And some of them became very important people. You know, the grace of God. The, the grace of God at work. It is so incredibly awesome. And whatever our individual 
little contribution to that is. It's all part of the, the, the whole composite. And then the other thing, finally, authentic Christianity is countercultural. We, we don't go along with what's going on, oftentimes in, with morality. They may call us, you know, Puritans, old-fashioned, or what the case may be. But I'll tell you what, I've come to realize that the Bible has saved me from a very messed up life. I was in line out in Illinois, bit of pig roast, and um, 250 pound pig. <laughs> it was huge. And they do it every year, but it's the 50th, 50th uh, pig roast they had. And this, this fellow was the commander, my platoon commander. And uh, I'm standing in line. And this was, this, this, we turn around just to introduce ourselves to this um, couple there. And uh, we, were, we were conversing, and, and he said something to me. He said, you know, he said, you look a lot younger than these other guys. You know, what's the deal? <laughs> and I said this. I said, you know what? It's the Lord. It's all the smoking I didn't do, all the drinking I didn't do, all the drugging I didn't do, all the womanizing I didn't do, all the cursing I didn't do, all the unforgiving I didn't, for, unforgiving I didn't do. All those things, they make a difference in your life, don't they? He's a savior. He saves us from so many things. Amen. Lord, we love you. We love you because of who you are. You're so awesome. You're so at work in our lives even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. And so, Lord, we look to you afresh this morning, thanking you, Lord, for your magnanimous grace. Thank you for the examples, Lord, as we looked at, Lord, uh, early church, these believers, your dynamic, Lord, in their lives, Lord, men like Barnabas. Lord, help us, we pray. Uh, to really represent you. Lord, our world, our world needs the church to be the church. People are hurting. People are wounded. People are dying. People are committing suicide. Help us, we pray, to reach out, to do whatever we can do. Lord, Paul said, he said, the love of Christ, it constrains me, it motivates me, it moves me.